Hi everyone, my name is Patrick Akio, and if you're interested in a healthy mindset, how to achieve it, as well as how that helps with performance, this episode is for you. Joining me today is Rainer Kraft. He's the founder of The Mindful Leader, where he helps tech leaders with a high-performance mindset. I'll put all his socials, as well as some resources, in the description below. Check them out, and with that being said, enjoy the episode. Beyond coding. Silicon Valley... I just felt uh, it's time to to uh, experience something different, mm. and yeah, maybe maybe there is part of this also that the the, the work culture or general culture around here when I moved to Berlin is quite different. Yeah, and uh, I think that the overall combination was kind of attractive to work on some new things, work in a new complex uh, context compared to what I've been doing before. Hmm. Um, otherwise, if I would have switched uh, to a different company, let's say in the Bay Area, the, the difference probably would have been not that not that uh, major, right? It's basically maybe working in Sunnyvale, maybe then you work in Mountain View, yeah. um, but everything else around it uh, is usually not that big of a change, right? But moving to Berlin was a major change. Uh, complete in terms of uh, any possible dimension you can think about. Yeah, interesting. I think a lot of people, and either work-wise or even life-wise, hit to a point where they're comfortable with what they have, and then they seek either a challenge or like a change of context, and it can be in a work environment, and then they just switch companies. But some people make a complete shift, just like you did. They move countries and completely change the context they operate in, basically. And I I don't know where that comes from. I think it comes from kind of this innate, I, I don't know if it's curiosity or something that like is unknown for people to kind of go through and seek out for themselves and probably get some kind of fulfillment from that as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think curiosity uh, is a big factor. Hmm. Uh, looking into the unknown, uh, getting used or becoming comfortable with the unknown i yeah. think this is part of the journey as well and i think uh situations like this they're perfect for experiencing this yeah exactly now i know you do a lot with regards to mindfulness now but if if you look back in your career when did it start basically when were you more aware of being mindful and working with mindfulness and how has it kind of continued to grow to where it is now well, that was more of a, uh, I would say, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, roughly. It was more like a crash course. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I got into mindfulness. It was not intended. Mm. Uh, at that point, even the, the term mindfulness, I heard maybe a little bit here and there about it, but I was not, I didn't really know what was behind it or why it matters. Uh, so it was a completely... Uh, distant concept mm. um, and then when uh, at the end of the day through this environment there through the fast paced uh, basically work uh, continuous work not enough balance because you pretty much you adapt to these things so that it's it's kind of it's typical that you work non-stop I, I even worked I had several position sometimes all at once i was teaching at the university in santa cruz mm. uh, i worked full-time at yahoo 
I still worked on some startup ideas on the side. So there was a lot of stuff going on. And I had, uh, at that point, already had a family with two boys. So wow. there was <laughs> there was a lot of things going on in yeah. parallel. And at some point, uh, the body basically told me, here, yeah, no, stop. There was this, um, I could sense that, that you put in more energy only to achieve less. Mm. Right? So you would... Um, you would try to compensate by working harder, but it looks like the productivity went down. Yeah. And these were the first uh, signs of stress, of too much stress. Uh, it was clear something needed to happen. And this is when at the end of the day, it hit me harder where I, at that point, this was the pivotal moment. So this was the, the story, which I sometimes I shared or it's also on my blog, because it was for me, it was quite a pivotal moment when uh, this was during the night, right? So they, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night yeah. and I felt like I have a heart attack or something like dying basically. Hmm. And I said, what? Right. So I was at that point was of course in big stress, yeah. uh, emergency unit came, they checked me out, they put me on all these instruments and then they drove me to the hospital. And during that drive in the, in the, in that uh, emergency unit to the hospital on the way there, this is when I all of a sudden experienced complete silence and hmm. peace and quietness. Uh, I could pretty literally observe myself. I was completely calm and it felt good. So that was a, a moment which I hadn't experienced before. And of course, that made me later on, that made me curious, what was this state? Yeah. My mind was in there at, at that point. And it was when I learned about mindfulness, being connected to the present moment. And this was actually what was happening there, just being there instead of the mind jumping back and forth between... Um, one thought after the other, rehashing the past, planning the future, strategizing, and so on. So it was a, a really key moment for myself where then I felt that, oh, wow, there is something there. And interestingly enough that, uh, so at the end, it wasn't something severe I had. Mm. It was the doctors told me, oh, yeah, this is called an anxiety attack okay. or a panic attack or whatever. They gave me a few pills. I walked out the next morning still puzzled what was happening but my employer at that point yahoo they offered a mindfulness-based stress reduction class mbsr which is kind of standard for mindfulness eight-week class and i felt oh this is something i can try out yeah and when i got into this i realized yeah this is mindfulness now i know what it is now it, it was clear i could connect the dots between my experience before and when I started doing like little of these mini meditations, body scans, and so on, or these exercises, yeah. it was clear that this goes in the same direction. It's quite helpful. It's good for me. And so that's when I started my journey there. Interesting. I, I like that a lot. But the kind of the work pressure and the shifting of focus and being so kind of, I, I wouldn't, how do you, how do you even call that? Like, I think your mind working in overdrive compared to your body, like those have all, I've talked to a lot of people and those have all been symptoms that people is heading towards a burnout, burning themselves out, literally. I mean, just by virtue of that, you got a panic attack in the middle of the night, right? an anxiety attack. I think that might happen to a lot more people or they find themselves in that state when it's 
kind of too late, right? Because the, by virtue of that, people burn out. And I feel like I'm somewhere on that scale. I don't think I'm too far ahead towards a burnout, but I definitely don't think I am like more mindful of what I'm doing or my mind is at ease sometimes because I do wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking a lot about work stuff or personal life stuff. Like my mind is very much busy with the day-to-day -day or even not the day-to-day, -day, exactly as you mentioned, the past, the future. It goes all over the place sometimes. And I feel like sometimes I'm in control and sometimes I'm not in control at all. And it just wanders and I stay awake because of that. Like what would you advise for people that their mind just wanders off? How to get it back into control? Because the mind is, a, I think, a very interesting thing. Well... The, yeah, I mean, those are exactly, thanks for sharing. I mean, these are exactly the type of symptoms that I experienced as well. Uh, like waking up in the middle of the night, uh, basically sleep was affected. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was pretty, uh, yeah, it was pretty rough because if you don't have that sufficient sleep and you feel even worse the next day. And so, yeah, I think the, uh, the symptoms are there and I would recommend if people are experienced these symptoms of, I call it the busy mind. So mm. if the mind is always on, it looks like you can't seem to turn it off, be able to turn it off. Uh, you wake up in the middle of the night. So these are the typical symptoms of a busy mind. And yeah, they lead eventually to a state of mental exhaustion. Yeah. And this was the state where I was in. Basically, it's the mental the mental processing capability is basically exhausting. It's getting harder to focus. It's getting harder to get stuff done. Uh, burnout is at the like the end of the road, right? It's it's a condition where at that point, if you really encounter a full blown burnout, there's not much you can do. You're pretty much uh, yeah, you're right? done. It's it, you're done, right? There is it's basically, and I didn't experience the burnout, but I know from many experience it and who I worked with in the past, it actually gets, it takes quite some effort to get out of this burnout state. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a condition. It's something that is very severe, but I would say not all people reach that state. Many reach like myself, you reach a state where you already know you're Heading that way, it's mental exhaustion, right? And you know the mind is always busy, the sleep is affected, other stress symptoms. And so then the question comes, can you control the mind? Mm. And that was the question that I was exploring for many years and going deeper and figuring exactly this question out. Can yeah. I actually control the mind? It looks I can't. Right? <laughs> the, mind, <laughs> the mind is that type of, it's like a software, right? The mm. mind is a software. It has all its limitations. Um, it might be buggy. Uh, it runs all kinds of subroutines and many of them are not really healthy for you. Like many of them are limiting thoughts, false beliefs, type of subroutines. Yeah. that uh, basically could create also negativity, worrying, and so on. So it's it's a, a software. You can't really control it, but you can learn to become aware of the software, of what it's doing to you. Mm. And you have a possibility then to start changing the programming. Interesting. Actively, right? So I think, so the debugging aspect as a software engineer, I'm familiar on how to debug a program. So here is the same analogy is debugging the mind is possible and making little changes step by step, but you need 
this level of what I call present awareness, being mm. connected to the present moment. This was exactly this what when I was in the state, when I was experiencing this, this was a full state of being present. And in such a state, or maybe during a meditation or when you're doing some sport, you have these moments when you're completely in flow. Yeah. And this is a state where you fully connect to the present moment. And this state allows you to actually look at the mind. You can observe it. You can start to learn to how to observe it. But then you can also start thinking about uh, what kind of uh, software routines would I like to change mm. if they're not suitable anymore. Because a lot of these routines are outdated and they're not actually, there's no advantage in still having them. So this is where the reprogramming or the rewrite the software part kicks in. Interesting. But to first, to figure out what to rewrite, you first need to be aware of what, what is kind of happening in your mind, right? And I recognize yeah. what you say in finding a state of flow. Like I do that when I'm programming or exactly as you say, sometimes when sports. And if I'm doing like a, I don't do this often, but I have done this in the past, like a deep breathing exercise, I feel like I am more aware of what is happening exactly in my body, right? I can feel my toes all the way to the top of my head, basically, being more present of where I am in this space, what is touching what, uh, and being really aware of what is happening in my own body. But I've never trained for that. Like, is that some process you can train for, being more aware of what is happening and being more in the present? I, I guess so, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is doable. And I, the question was, how do you do it? Yeah. And so I experimented with all kind of different of mindfulness exercises, techniques, programs. I met with many different teachers, attended workshops, retreats, seminars. And all of those, uh, they were definitely helpful, uh, but I didn't see yet the, uh, for me, the big picture, mm. because as a scientist, I like to see, is this actually working? Is now, if I do this compared to this, how do I know this is actually better? Or is it, is it just different? Yeah. Or how, how do I more systematically uh, cultivate this awareness? So that was the big question. And then over the past, I would say five years, I figured out, yes, it can actually be systematically be trained. Like, there's people, I mean, they basically wake up the next morning and they're fully present. Yeah. Right? They're fully, they're fully there. Like what it state that I had when I was driving into the hospital, mm. it's like bing and there you are. Right. And then that, that state lasts for a long period of time. It, of course, it's intermittent. It could go back to old and it comes back. So some people have a little bit of luck here so that they, uh, they get the state of, Usually, it's there is some part of suffering involved. Uh, if there is enough suffering, it could actually happen that this opening happens to you and you're automatically more present without having to train anything. It's just there. But I would say for the majority of people, it's a indeed it's a training process. And then the question was, how can it be systematically trained? Yeah. And so this is when I ended up with this what I call now measurable mindfulness. Mm. It's adding a dimension of data to mindfulness, make it data driven. And I know many people, when they hear this the first time, what measuring <laughs> data, mindfulness, how does this fit together? 
but it works together very well and it works. So when I, I started working with uh, tech leaders, business leaders, because they wanted to exactly do this, they wanted to get out of this mental noise, mental chatter, all this busy mind stuff. I also refer to this as the monkey mind, mm. untrained state of mind. And I told them, look, this is trainable. There is data there. It can be measured. Uh, you can try out different things. You can see how it goes. And you can see over time, you can see indeed progress. Why not? It just depends, right? And that resonated also very well because people I work with usually, they like data, they like numbers. And that's why measurable mindfulness, it's something where I said, oh, this is, uh, this is cool. It's like this. It's like, finally, there is something there that you can use yeah. that shows you how your awareness, your level of present awareness or your LPA, that's how I call it, is actually rising or maybe not. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so data-driven and measurable mindful mindfulness, this, were, this was the game changer. Interesting. And you mentioned like awareness being one of the factors that you measure. First of all, how, how do you measure that? And then second of all, what, what other factors do you look at when measuring like mindfulness in that way? Yeah. So LPA, level of present awareness, is a key KPI uh, because what it represents is the percentage of time over the course of your waking day that you're fully aware and fully connected to the present moment. Yeah. So that means to make this simple, this example usually I give if there's 16 hours that you're awake, mm. eight hours you sleep. So you have 16 hours, roughly a thousand minutes to keep it simple. And if you manage to stay fully present for, let's say, 20 minutes yeah. over the course of the day, so then you have about 2% LPA and 2%, sometimes 3%, sometimes less is also usually the average of people I start working with. It's okay. a state of an untrained mind and 2% LPA usually is not bad, but it is something that you have to, uh, first you have to be able to even measure it and establish a baseline, which is a process that typically takes about two to three weeks mm. um, because you have to first become familiar with this idea of how do I actually track these, I call them mindful minutes. Yeah. How do I track them? How do I know I'm actually fully present or I'm not most of the time unconscious, uh, pretty much identified with my thinking mind uh, and doing all this uh, useless mind activity. Hmm. So you have to learn. This is a process where you first learn to be able to, to measure and establish this baseline. Yeah. It's doable. And then people get after two or three weeks, usually they have some baseline roughly. It doesn't have to be perfect, but they come out and say, oh, yeah, so now it looks like on average it's maybe 3%. Sometimes it's 4 sometimes it's 2 But they get a sense of it's probably about there, yeah. right? And once a baseline is established, then usually in the training, so one of the trainings around measurable mindfulness that I developed, um, it's like a three months training where we take that baseline and I call it 10x presence mm. because we want to have a significant impact. It's not just moving it a little bit up, but we want a factor of 10x. Yeah. 
because that's what I, uh, over the years realized this is when the change happens, if you have a really boost in this awareness. And so this is a process. And then, uh, let's say you, you start with 2%, maybe after two or three months, you get up to 10%, 15 or even 20%. Yeah. This is when life changes basically for you. Interesting. Just to, just to play devil's advocate, because I think that would be interesting. Let's say I'm, I'm trying to be more mindful, right? And I'm working on getting more mindful minutes throughout my day. I start off with 20 minutes, which is about 2%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you say that's already quite good, then then I believe that. But if I'm trying to actively work on it and I'm trying to be more aware of when it happens and when it doesn't happen, shouldn't I like shouldn't my mind already be more aware of when it happens and like just because by virtue of me working on that, it can also be a placebo, no, that I think I am being more aware throughout my day or that it I do see an increase just because I really want that. Sometimes just because you want something, a mind can like have a placebo effect. And then I don't know if it's actually happening. And even so, if it doesn't actually happen, if it still helps you, it's still good at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's exactly that's the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's no black or white. So if I give you an example to collect, let's say, five mindful minutes, mm. uh, you take a shower. Yeah. Because you take a shower anyway. But now the instruction is you set yourself an intention of being fully present when you're taking the shower. Yeah. So... There is an intention being present during the shower, then you take the shower and you actually have, you use your intention now to stay fully present. You feel the water, you feel the temperature, you feel when it touches your skin, you're fully in there. Um, and let's say you do this for five minutes, it may not be perfect because after, I don't know, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, the first thought pops up and you're out of it. Yeah. But since you set yourself an intention, you go back to being present after the 30 seconds, right? And you go in and out. So these are called conscious recoveries. Okay. And this is how this is how you train the muscle of the mind through these conscious recoveries. The more you have, the better, right? This is when the mind learns to basically recover itself going back into the present moment. And so if you did this exercise at the end of the day perfect, this five minutes shower, right? Being present in the shower, yeah. you could now say, uh, conservatively well i took five minute shower probably i was three minutes fully present the rest i was basically dozing off and going in, in in the busy mind again but three minutes i was probably fully present right so then this exercise was helpful because on one side you collected some mindful minutes you have a good sense of how many there actually were yeah in the second while you were doing the exercise you trained conscious recoveries and that is how you, at the end of the day, make progress. The more conscious recoveries, the more, the more trained the, the mind becomes, right? And the mind realizes, conscious recovery basically means the mind realizes it went back, back into these old patterns of uh, identifying with some useless thoughts. Yeah. And then it learned, well, it looks like this is not helpful. I always get... When I do that, I get basically discovered and then I have to go back out of it again and go into the present moment so the mind realizes it's not helpful. Yeah. And so this is when gradually this this drifting away, the, and there is a metric for this as well. You ask for different um, KPIs, there's different mind KPIs. Conscious recoveries I already mentioned, but there is also something called thought per minute. Hmm. So this is the number of thoughts 
the activity in your mind over one minute. Yeah. There's also an exercise, a little mini meditation on how you can basically uh, create this data point and collect the sample. Um, and usually people have a very busy mind. It's not rare to see people having thought per minute of 10, 15 or more. Ma. So it's crazy if you think about it. If you would actually sit there and every thought that comes up, you would basically speak it out loud, right? While yeah. you're, there's the voice in your head. And instead of letting it just sit uh, in silence, basically talk to it, right? This is a good way to actually um, make this, bring this to the surface, what kind of, uh, what kind of busyness there is going on, right? If you would see, a, if you would observe a person sitting yeah. in an office and would talk all the time like crazy and fast, right? But this person would just verbalize those thoughts are going on, what are just happening. This is how the busy mind looks, right? Yeah. If you would actually make it make it visible, and so this is why a high thought activity of ten or more thoughts per minute is usually an indicator of an untrained state of mind. Interesting. And through these conscious recoveries, through the training, uh, over time you can bring these uh, numbers down, like thoughts per minute. Ideally, you want to bring it down to zero. This is a very, I can speak from my own experience. This is a very pleasant state to be in. Mm. If there is, if there is silence, if there is quiet, quietness in the mind, yeah, it's a, it's a different ball game, right? So then you have, it's like the lake. Think about the lake. There is basically, there's no wind. It's basically calm, this calm state. And this is how your mind is zero thoughts per minute. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you cannot think anymore. You can use the mind like a surgeon, like as a very precise tool if you need it. Like if you say, oh, now I need to work on this problem here. I need to prepare this presentation. Then you start using the mind and go into a problem-solving mode maybe for a few minutes. Who knows? Yeah. Get some stuff done and then you get out of it again. And then again, there is the silence. Right? So it's a completely different uh, experience yeah. when you most of the time in this quiet state and you're connected to actually the present moment. Interesting. I mean, thoughts per minute for me is an interesting moment because I feel like that comes with kind of as adolescence and growing up and gaining more responsibilities because those are all things you need to think of, things you need to account for, things you need, might need to do, right? If you're a kid, you're growing up, a lot of things are facilitated for you. Your parents take care of you. You go to school. You have a solid rhythm in the things that you do. And in your free time, you can explore, right? Just explore the world because that's how you grow. That's how you gain knowledge. And at some point, you gain more and more responsibilities, right? You start living by yourself or with friends. And all of a sudden, you have to start thinking about, okay, what are my meals going to be for the day? Or, oh, I forgot to eat. Oh, I have to think of even eating because before a meal just appeared. And then with that in mind, the more you start working, the more you're starting to work with your mind even. And at some point you're going to buy a house, you're going to get kids, you're going to be very worried about their stuff and you're going to have to take care of them, right? Your factors of like things you have to think of, things you have to account for and the responsibilities you have, I feel like as long as those keep growing, you're going to have more thoughts and your thoughts might wander off to one of those aspects to think of, right? Because if you're responsible for that, if you're accountable for that, you want to do it right. And at some point you have to actually allocate some thinking time before you act for that. So I feel like already by virtue of growing up, 
I feel like those thoughts per minute are bound to increase, right? If you don't train for it. And then a thought I had as well is because I was walking like last weekend, I was walking around one of the markets in Amsterdam and I saw people like selling fruit. And because I walk that market pretty often, I see the same people over and over again. And they do that six days a week, basically, because on Sundays, everything's closed. And I asked my girlfriend, like, do you think life would be simpler if we did that, right? If we were farmers or if we sold the same thing on like a market more day in, more day out? Because I think, first of all, I'm not going to work as much with my mind. And just by virtue of not working as much with my mind, I feel like I'm going to get a little bit better of a mental state, maybe being more mindful and being more aware of what I'm doing just by virtue of working more physically rather than with my mind mentally, I guess. I feel like it also like is a bigger strain, those thoughts per minute with people that work more with their mind on a day-to-day. I don't know if that's anything you've seen research-wise that also can um, can contribute towards those assumptions, I guess. Well, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, it's a different environment. Um, yeah, I would say I, at that point, I'm not sure about particular research that distinguishes these cases. I'm sure there were studies out there when they looked at. Yeah, I mean, there's thousands, ten thousand of studies around meditation. Uh, that basically where they looked at all aspects of meditation, how it helps train your mind and different approaches and so on. So there's plenty of studies there. I'm sure there is probably something out there Mm. that looks at this a little bit closer. My experience there is, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, if you're in nature, if you're uh, exposed in an environment where thinking makes, yeah, is not needed that much, uh, I would say it could be maybe here and there a little bit easier to stay connected to the present moment. But yeah. on the other hand, it may also not. I think the challenges are there anyhow. Um, and I think if you uh, use the mind more often, like if you have these cognitive tasks and mental processing that needs to be done, mm. um, it is what it is. I mean, as long as you're... Uh, I think the problem there is more on the body. I think the body at that point uh, needs more resources to provide this level of mental processing capabilities. So the body, if my analogy is the hardware, and the hardware needs to be in good shape. Mm. And so if you're using the mental uh, processing all the time or often, uh, the brain is sucking up so much energy. It uses 20% of your energy 24-7. And it's a difference compared now if I would just, um, I don't know, walk through through a forest and the mind is more in this experience mode. Let's assume that the mind is trained and you could still walk through the forest and you have 10, 15 thoughts per minute. So that's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily um, a condition. It could be that it quiets down a little bit more because there is less distraction there. Uh, on the other hand, again, I see people, they, they go out in nature and they have the same number of thoughts. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, it is uh, there's always a challenge of training the mind. And I think this is something people just are not aware of, that this can be done or this is something that is important. Um, and so they may discover it, but usually they discover it <laughs> in a state... <laughs> 
when there is already a lot of mental exhaustion there. And then, of course, it's harder to make these changes, right? If I would have learned that, let's say, in kindergarten, wouldn't that be great, right? If yeah. someone in kindergarten told me, oh, you know, there's, you can actually train your mind, of course, using simpler language, would say, oh, you know, you can feel more quiet and comfortable. We'll, we'll learn there is this thing called a little mini meditation. We sit here, close our eyes, right? We relax, we chill. And then we take these experiences and put them into a playful and playful scenarios. Uh, we learn breathing techniques and all that stuff, right? And we learn to be kind. We learn to be gentle to each other, right? We're doing all that good stuff. I mean, think yeah. about what would, how the world would change if you would actually put some of these basics of training the mind, engaging in some of those mindfulness activities and practices. And let young kids at that age basically really experience them. And I think they are, at that point, they're much better set up for life, right? But yeah. this is not, I mean, it's happening here and there, but I think that would be a big, it could be a huge game changer. I think that that could be a very interesting one because my assumption, and sure, like I, I've been around a lot of kids. I have three siblings and a lot of nephews and cousins. And my mom is a preschool teacher. But my assumption would be that kids are innate already pretty good at that. I mean, the younger, the better, but that that's an assumption. So I feel like being more aware of it is a good thing. And then training it maybe when you're becoming more adolescent, right? Because as soon as you hit kind of your teenage years, a lot of things just already in your body are going to change, also in your mind are going to change. And I feel like that might be a sweet spot for them to be more aware of how you can train that uh, and let those thoughts yeah. just be thoughts or turn them off also kind of on a more flexible basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the problem is it happens already, unfortunately, way too early when people mm. nowadays, they grow up in this digital age yeah. with these uh, smartphones and That's tablets a good one. Ev ev everywhere, right? So yeah. this is the problem. I, I mean, I have two boys. I, know, I mean, they uh, basically grew up in this time. And I think people in general, I see that young kids and teenagers as well, their attention span is so small because there's constantly social stuff happening on the phone, right, yeah. or on the tablet, that sucks for your sucks your attention, and so your your awareness is like this this the, the monkey mind, right? Is this little monkey bouncing around? It goes to everything that is moving or changing, right? Yeah. And if there's a little like thing pops up on your head on your smartphone or little message comes in or whatever so there's all these different channels and i think this is the this is the problem that once so young kids when they're born of course they're fully aware they're fully present but once they become toddlers once they identify with the so-called ego the egoic mind which is developing in these early years right you can test if someone is already identified with the egoic mind if you take that that little toddler the toy away, right? Yeah. And if they take the toy away, and then if the the the, the toddler is basically starting to cry and oh this is mine, this is mine, give it to me, right? Then you already see there is an ego, right? So it, yeah. it starts very early, and then if you uh, the ego is evolving, that's fine. Um, but if then through all these social media and all this technology stuff, I, I think these this generation has a tough time because the mind is not even trained at all it's actually worse i would say it's much worse compared to someone who grew up like in my age 
yeah. in the 70s and the 80s, there were no smartphones or any of that stuff. You would actually get out and you talk with people uh, face to face, yeah. right? In a phone call, this was something special. Like when you were at home, there was a this old phone thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and there was no wire, wireless phone or anything. It was this one phone um, in the in the apartment or in the house, and then you would go there. You make a call. Usually, there, these were weren't long calls; they were short calls. You just synchronize on some topic, and that's all there was. And nowadays, the number of distraction is so high. Right? Yeah. And that and that requires a uh, I would say even more focus on training the mind. Because with an attention span, there was this one study, they said that nowadays some people, they have an attention span of eight seconds or something, right? Wow. Which is the same, same as a goldfish. Yeah. So I would, I would get worried when I hear these numbers and say, oh my goodness. And this is basically, there's science out there where they're doing these studies, right? And I think training the mind is now needed more than ever. Yeah. And yeah, working on, for instance, increasing this focus, uh, evolving beyond the goldfish again, right? I think it's all doable, but first becoming aware this is actually where my, where my current, what my current uh, state of mind allows me to do. It's not that great, uh, but people also my experience don't do it proactively. It's more when there is some pressure, when there yeah. is some urgency that maybe focus levels are so low that they say i can't get my work done anymore and then they start exploring so what can i do to be more focused yeah and then someone was they realize oh there is something called training the mind uh, and then of, all of a sudden becomes a priority but now it's much harder to get going on this get even started uh, if People like in young ages, what I mentioned before, would just uh, playfully learn it, right? Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting because when I drew that comparison, I'm always comparing to my own upbringing, but that is not reality anymore. Things have shifted and technology is now there very much yeah. more earlier, especially like, I mean, even if you're comparing you to me and then me to people that are growing up now, I guess, in, in very young ages, like it is accelerating. And I wonder if that trend of like, technology acceleration and it being more in the hands of younger generations i guess also is there's a correlation with like issues having to do with the mind like anxiety issues or depression and stuff like that because i feel like my gut feeling says there might be a correlation having to do with that i mean there's already social media studies that say it's not healthy for kids the younger the worse usually um, so being more aware of mindfulness i feel like it's going to be a very powerful thing and i think it's gonna also grow more so in the future because technology is not going away it's going to get more and more accessible at a younger age because it also has benefits there's not only downsides yeah, uh, but no. the hard part is like training the mind and being aware of that it does come fairly late in your like life i feel like i agree with that yeah yeah and i think the second aspect to this which we haven't talked yet about is the body Mm. Uh, the health competencies of people is so low it's it's uh, sometimes also scary that people know so little in terms of how they need to take care of their body properly and i yeah. think this is again a lack that people ideally you learn these important things in kindergarten i mean 
from when I go back to this age, my let's say my grandmother, right? They, she would tell me, uh, you don't do this, you do this, you eat this, you don't eat this. So there were these old sayings in terms of eat more veggies or do, right? So these, these things, what you learn, you learn some very basic things, but for that type of age or decade, when I was growing up, this was sufficient and it was actually pretty good. It wasn't backed up by science, but actually the science came later, yeah. confirmed this actually was good stuff. Nowadays, it's all validated. But in this complex environment nowadays with all these toxins, pollutions, it's basically craziness on the whole food chain, all the stuff what's happening here around us. The body, uh, on top of all, having to deal with all this, let's say detoxifying is a big topic for the body, but um, it's also this constant processing, this mental processing capabilities. I mean, if you have a smartphone and you have to constantly watch what's going on there, what streams are there, you switch between 10 different streams, um, even as a teenager, right? And yeah. this is this is requires a lot of mental processing power. That means your body needs to move around with a lot of energy in form of electrons, and so to generate these uh, electrons and move them around and do this processing, it needs a lot of resources. But the resources, for instance, in form of minerals, um, vitamins, to build certain enzymes and proteins. So it needs to be well nourished. But people don't usually know that much in terms of how to really take care of the body properly. They yeah. think they know, but... <laughs> The numbers they look different if they actually uh, start digging deeper this is where this movement of biohacking i would say about 13 14 years ago uh, i think dave asprey was there one of the pioneers in this field yeah but there came other developments around uh, quantified self uh, really going into uh, again similar thing look at biomarkers look at numbers start to learn how um, how can you optimally support your body and genes? We're all different. We all have different needs. How, how do you do that? And I think if usually you have to do something in this area, area that was my own experience. I, was, mm. I wasn't really doing well 10, 15 years ago. My body wasn't really uh, bad shape. Yeah. And so I had to learn. This was a lot of learning activity while I was training the mind becoming also more aware it was easier to create this focus on the body i think otherwise it's not possible but once you create focus for the body then you learn also in your experiment in an agile manner how can you what kind of foods are good for you what are not good for you yeah. how do you know you're actually doing better and so you do the same approach that you do for the mind you do it also for the body and so if you do that, then there's a synergy, there's a synergetic effects between body and mind because if the body is in better shape, mental processing capability goes up. If yeah. that goes up, you can also meditate better. If you can meditate better, it's also easier, in my experience, to raise more awareness. So it's a, there's a really nice synergy. And this is when I coined this term a few years ago, the high performance mindset. Hmm. which uh, I created training programs on and helping people to really look at these three pillars of awareness, mind and body in this direction yeah. to basically introduce these synergy effects. And this is when the magic happens is when you 
do a little bit in each of these three areas. And this is when you see results, basically. I think that's a very interesting one. And you bring up performance. Like when I'm thinking of performance, and especially in the context that I am in, like let's say I'm an engineering manager and I have to do performance reviews. It's always based on what people do, how they do it. But it's never of them, and it's hard to judge this, it's never of their like state of being, right? It's never about their mindset or body, but that can very much affect all their output. Like what they're showing has a fundamental, like having to do with who they are as a person or how they're feeling with regards to their mind and their body. How well they're performing mm -hmm. might drastically mm -hmm. change, right? If they're in a negative spiral, for example, or if they have high thoughts per minute when it comes to their mind, right? If their mind wanders off yeah. and it's hard to focus, you will see that in kind of a work performance, yet there's no focus on fixing that from an organizational point of view. And I think that's a very interesting mm -hmm. one, right? Because fundamentally, that is like at groundwork for a person. Before they can achieve like excellent work results, they have to have their mind and body in order, I feel like, to do so, right? To focus, to really focus, to find that flow, for example. And if you have a trained mind and body, you will do that faster, which means also your performance at the end of the day is going to accelerate just by virtue of being better at that, which I think is a very mm -hmm. interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. I think the some of these problems, so let's say someone is in a state of negativity yeah. um, or is in a state of depression, of course, this affects your output on work. Right? Yeah, so, it's obvious. And, lot, and, and a lot of these things are based on suboptimal nutrition, uh, the body doesn't have enough resources in this case, for instance, to build sufficient level of neurotransmitters yeah. uh, or break them down fast enough. So it's just the body can't do it. And then what comes out is maybe it's depression, maybe it's some anxiety, maybe it's some other form. Uh, but at the end, it's, it's basically there's the body causing a problem. Yeah. And then if you take some of the doctor gives you some of these pills, Oh yeah, take this, and yeah, sure, this is like uh, like a bandaid. Yeah, yeah, it can be helpful uh, in a certain aspect, but it's a bandaid, nothing more. Um, but you have to go in and figure out. So, what is really the the reason? What's what is really what does my body need to get out of the state? And this is where the the science of epigenetics, the process of biohacking, can be very helpful. And I think at work, my approach there was that. Uh, when I coined this term uh, also many years ago, uh, the mindful leader, right? Mm. Mindful leadership. Uh, this was something where I realized uh, as a leader, you actually have to live these things by example. Yeah. So you have to basically be in a present state. You have to upgrade your mindset, your software. And you have to also upgrade your body. And people notice this. If you all of a sudden, um, you're in this, in a great shape, they see this, right? People, I mean, you can see this in the pandemic. People, many of them got sick. Yeah. Right. But, uh, if, for instance, you take good care of your body, you may not necessarily have to get sick. I mean, you basically all the time you're there, you're full of energy, you're full, like high level of resilience. Uh, your mind is, is running like, yeah, it's like a well-oiled machine. I mean, people notice these type of things. And then they may question and come up and say, here, yeah, well, I noticed that you're not stressed at all. Yeah. You're in this calm state. You're uh, always full of energy. How do you do that? How? Yeah. <laughs> right? 
And, and this is when they ask you, how do you do that? And then, then you can tell them, well, there is something called a high performance mindset, right? It's an idea of between more awareness, upgraded software of the mind, uh, better hardware, your body, right? There's different ways you can do that. There's resources out there that you can explore. And then people get excited because they get motivated because these topics usually resonate pretty much with everyone. Yeah. Uh, everyone has basically um, would benefit from a little bit more awareness, a little bit more well-being, a little, little, yeah, maybe a calmer state or more focused state of mind. So people would benefit. They know that. And then all of a the sudden there is motivation because they're seeing that you're in the work context as a leader, you're using these principles as part of your, how you define your own leadership style. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What has made and you successful is, basically. Exactly. That makes you successful. People see this and then they obviously it resonates and then they get curious. And this is then when there's options also what the company can do, can raise uh, awareness of these topics in the, in the, basically shaping a new workplace. There's a lot of yeah. efforts underway and many companies are exploring uh, concepts of mental health and well-being in the workplace and they're experimenting, they're being innovative and it's good to see this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And An interesting thing that you mentioned is that like you might see different outcomes, right? Like a negative spiral or someone that's depressed or like weird anxieties popping up when you're thinking about certain things. But then if you look at the issue, there might just be the same issues there, right? Either being like uh, having a not trained mind, I guess, or not being optimal with your body or the things that you're consuming or the vitamins and the nourishments there. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting because I never linked that together. Like people always look at output, I feel like. And if you fix the underlying cause, that is so much more powerful than focusing on those outputs. Especially as yeah. you mentioned that doctors might just prescribe you something and then we're talking about a band-aid, right? Because they're fixing that one mm -hmm. output. Well, X amount of others might pop up. I think that's a very interesting mm -hmm. one. I've uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Reiner. I think it's very thought-provoking. And I feel like I'm, you opened up a rabbit hole for me to like dive deep and do more research <laughs> in. Uh, before we round off, is there anything you'd still like to share with regards to our listeners before we round off? Said that twice. <laughs> no, thanks. Um, yeah, I think... Um, uh, I think on my side, if people get curious on these topics, uh, many years ago, I created my blog, themindfulleader.net. Mm. Um, so I think we can share some links to those resources there. There's plenty of videos on this topic when I talk about awareness, measurable mindfulness, high-performance mindset, uh, but also things like upgrading the body through biohacking, the science of epigenetics. So there's a lot of stuff there and resources people can review and explore. And yeah, there is no, I think in terms of um, how to get there, I think it's all starts with awareness. I mm. would say uh, if during this episode here, during this show, there was maybe some inspiration or there was some idea that popped up, uh, use this little piece of awareness to basically make maybe make a note or something and then start to get back to it and follow up whatever it was. And this is how you get started is cultivating awareness. And so that's usually I recommend uh, if, for instance, this idea of mindfulness uh, said, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, then let's not just think about it. Actually, let's do something, right? Maybe you sign up for an MBSR class the way I did. 
this long time ago for eight weeks and get a taste of what this actually is so that you can get a flavor, but you're doing something. And if you're doing that uh, by cultivating the awareness, the next step, usually what happens, you can better observe the mind. You can start what I mentioned before, can get into the mind debugging or the mind hacking, so to speak. And then, of course, when the mind works better, you can also now go a little bit more into the body, start with some, maybe some intermittent fasting, try out some biohacks, try out better nutrition, uh, learn about these things, right? And it's a cycle. You start a lifestyle. There's no right or wrong. You just do a little bit of pieces. Uh, you measure, build, measure, learn, right? And then you make tweaks. So the whole high-performance mindset is a lifestyle that evolves. But you have to get started at some point. And I think maybe that what I hope out of this show is that people said, oh, yeah, there, there is something there. Let's, uh, let's review it. Let's look and what can be done, basically. To get I like started. that a lot, uh, especially the addition that like it's going to be unique to you as well. And you have to experience and try things out and see what works. Like I've done, yeah. I've done things like intermittent fasting or like drinking four liters of water a day. And I know what that does to my body. Like I had to pee a lot or I was very hungry a lot, but also a state of mind changed in that way. And just by virtue yeah. of doing that, you know what it does to your body and you know if you like that feeling so you can do more or if you want to change and experiment with other things. So I, I think that's a very healthy, exactly as you coined it, more lifestyle rather than mindset, I guess. Well, it goes hand in yeah. hand. Yeah, they, cool. go, they, go hand, they go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. It's... it's but I think the key, the key thing, maybe the last thing I say to this is the data part. Don't ignore the data. See how you can use, if you're good with data, if you're good with numbers, see how you can, what kind of KPIs can you use for the mind, for the body, hmm. for awareness. And as these resources I pointed out earlier, right? But use the numbers to guide you because you may be doing something it may feel good but it's actually not good right so yeah. don't trust your feeling too much sometimes the feeling can get you in the wrong direction but i'll give you one last example here vitamin d right mm. this is something you have to measure you take some blood right at the doctor's office or at home you look what your vitamin d levels are it's not that you can sense them by with body awareness or you're thinking oh i feel good my vitamin d levels in good shape you have to measure it then you know whatever you're doing is going in the right direction. And so I would encourage to uh, explore with this idea of data in the aspect of awareness, mind and body, and use it to guide you basically. Yeah, yeah, perfect. I like the addition of data a lot. It's, it's not something I do. I go very much based on feeling, and that's also what you heard back then. And I've never measured my blood levels, like maybe I should do that, but that's, that's a different trailing <laughs> thought. Let me, I'll, I'll write that down afterwards. I'm going to round it off here. Thank you so much for coming on, Reiner. This was a real pleasure. A lot of thought-provoking thoughts uh, for people. If you have any questions to Reiner, I'm going to put all his socials in the description below, as well as some of the resources he pointed out. So check him out. Let him know you came from our show. And with that being said, thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.